A reading um, from John chapter 3, verses 22 to 36. I'll stand right here. Um, John the Baptist exalts Christ. After this, Jesus' disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing in Enon and Salim, because water was plentiful there, and people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been, I have been sent before him. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom, the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. This is the word of God. John the Baptist's life was not easy. The passage we're looking at, John is the featured figure. Uh, and we know from this passage and otherwise that, that his ministry was not easy. Um, so for example, verse 24 said, John had not yet been put in prison, so it was not gonna get better for him. But even uh, there are indications here that that he had a challenging task. And so um, one thing you'd note is, is a discussion arises about the nature of his ministry. In verse 25, it says, a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. So he's called John the Baptist because he's baptizing. Well, what was the nature of baptism? Well, at that context, so Christian baptism has a fuller meaning. But in this context, it was about purification. That's what, the, what, what they're discussing. Now, purification indicates something about the need for John's ministry. So John is known as the forerunner. He comes to announce the good news that Jesus, God's Savior, is coming. So that sounds like the job that I would have, that would want, the job that I would want. I would want to run around and announce, great things are about to happen. But... John says in verse 36, whoever does not obey the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So, so chapter three tells one story. And last week, Jesus says, I did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. But that language of saving says there's something wrong that we are not fully in tune with. And the good news is so good because God cares and he sees and he will do something. But John comes in a context where in preparing the way for the great 
one who will follow, he's coming to people who were not prepared. So the, the ministry of baptism was not sort of, hey, this is the thing that you do. It was a ter- group of terrified people who heard the announcement that the time uh, that the scriptures announced was, was coming, but they weren't ready for it. So maybe some of you have had this experience as a teenager where your parents said, we're going to be home around 11 o'clock. And then for some reason, they showed up at 9 p.m. and you weren't ready. Your, your plan involved doing certain things at 10 o'clock to get things ready, uh, allowing for them to come early. And, and there's this sense in which uh, they're arriving uh, brought fear into your hearts. This moment had been long announced, and now John is preparing the way, but people are coming because they're not ready. So the ministry of baptism was a symbolic way of, of saying, God is going to help you get ready through the sign of purification. So that is one aspect of John's ministry, is, is he's announcing something good, but because there's this problem that we can't solve. But here's another thing that maybe some of you will be more in tune with when you think of, well, what made his ministry uh, difficult? Verse 36, uh, I'm sorry, verse 25, a discussion arose between some of John's, dis- uh, I'm sorry, I'm looking at the wrong verse here. Um, verse 26, they came to John, those people having this discussion, and said, Rabbi, He who is with you across the Jordan, to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing, and all are going to him. Now that, for John, is not a problem. But for most of us who feel like, wow, God, you gave this great ministry. So so John says, I must become less, and he must increase, I must decrease. Well, by John's own will, that's a nice thing. But but this is not John proactively making that decision. His, His disciples are recognizing uh, your popularity, your influence seems to be waning. And so if you imagine a board meeting where the CEO presents to the board and says, I have bad news and good news. The bad news is for the seventh quarter straight, uh, we are taking a, a 10% loss of revenue. But here's the good news. In what's an otherwise struggling industry, three of our competitors have, have posted gains for the 10th quarter in a row. Uh, that meeting has not happened in New York City. Most of us, yes, we should be humble. Yes, we should be committed to something bigger. But the idea that uh, that now the nature of this hard ministry you're doing, where you're giving, you're sacrificing and you're struggling, and then the crowds are noticing that somebody else has greater popularity and influence. That's the kind of thing that maybe most of us would would wonder. God, why are you calling me to this? And so, um, John's ministry was unique. John is a unique person. He's not presented to us as an example. But I think any of us asking the question of how do you do hard things in life? How do you have joy in the midst of these things? How do you keep going? How do you live upright? How do you live live meaningful in a meaningful way? Maybe we have different uh, vocabulary or different ways of of asking that kind of question. Um, But it makes us wonder, what's the mindset that John had? Because while things are hard, and John probably knows things are going to get worse, so, so here it tells us he's going to prison. John was not released from prison. His head was released from his body. Uh, his calling, he was in a hard context, and yet in verse 29, as, as he is decreasing, he says, therefore this joy of mine is now complete. He's tied to something bigger that makes him say, it's been hard, um, this is really challenging, and maybe anybody else would look and find it discouraging. And yet in it, he doesn't waver, 
He's not cowardly. He has joy. Those are the kinds of things that, okay, our circumstances are very different, but, but what is his theology? What is his mindset? Because what we see here about the way that he understands his relationship to God ties into one of the things John, who writes the gospel, wants us to see. And what I'm going to highlight today is the language of receiving. One aspect of how John was oriented to God and the world was, was through this concept of receiving from God. And I think that's at least part of what sustained him. And I think in looking at it, uh, for any of us trying to think of what sustains what could sustain me in my struggles? I think understanding this perspective of how we relate to God in the world can be valuable. So what I want to highlight is that we receive, uh, I'm going to highlight uh, all things from God, God's word, and God's son. So beginning with the fact that we receive all things from God. So Many of us, when you hear about this idea of receiving, that we have to trust God, that we depend on God, it goes against something in us that actually uh, it's, it's a right instinct and maybe it's a misunderstanding to respond uh, as we do. But, but some of us hear that to, sound, to, to seem to be saying, your choices don't matter, your actions don't matter, there's no cor- correlation between you know, action and consequence, nothing matters, just look to God and watch what he will do. And of course, that doesn't accord with wise living, with the teachings of the Bible. So when we're talking about receiving all things from God, it doesn't mean we're passive, it doesn't mean we're helpless, but the overcorrection for most of us, not wanting to be the kinds that just sit around, is to take on the assumption that we control too much. And that is very damaging, and it damages a number of things, like our joy. So we face a hard thing, and how do we face the hard thing? Well, with greater hardness, with greater effort. And it's not that that's entirely wrong, but, but that's where in the nuance of, of, of John was clearly bold, courageous, uh, proactive, and yet strong enough to keep going. Um, this concept of receiving um, is part of it. So if, if you're looking to read further on this theologically, uh, read the doctrine of providence. The idea is not that that God made us and gives us his rules and then we go and do it, but the Bible presents God active in the world, and yes, in the big things of the world, but somehow even in the details of our lives. And that understanding actually provides strength, help, guidance in ways that we need. And so we see throughout the Bible uh, that attitude. So for example, Jesus himself, John presents him as the divine son of God, and yet he fulfills the calling of humanity, recognizing, and and, uh, what I'm going to point out now, is the attitude of thanksgiving. Those who depend on God, um, when they recognize something good from God, the proper response is thanksgiving. So the book of Romans opens up by saying, where humanity went wrong, here's one angle on it, you have the creator who created things, and we became so excited about the things that we turned away from the creator. And he, he, Paul, who wrote Romans, describes it as a refusal to give thanks. <laughs> um, so being thankful is an important part of the Christian life, but how do you just be thankful? Well, well you're thankful when you recognize God's provision. So Jesus, uh, in a passage we'll look at in a couple of months, John 6, a famous incident where, where he feeds 5,000 people. 
So it's a miracle, and most of us think of miracle like magic trick. How did he do it? And we want to know the mechanics as if he just made bread appear from nowhere. But what's interesting is he does something that, that no human being can do, but, but in the pattern of what a human being was meant to do. He takes bread that's already there, and he multiplies it. So, so the beginning of the Bible is God creates all things from nothing, and then God gives things to humanity so that we would take it and cause flourishing. So Jesus has this huge crowd and this very little bit of food. And then in John 6, 11, it says, Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to those who were seated. And so what is the giving thanks there? Well, there's this recognition, or there's a, uh, um, this huge hungry crowd, you've given us this. And it becomes a sign um, that God takes that little bit and, and makes it enough. That thanksgiving in there is striking because Jesus is the divine son. Wouldn't he know what to do? And yet here he comes as the human being dependent on the Father. And that attitude that's there is an attitude that we are meant to have. Any good thing that comes into our life comes from God. So the reason I'm saying all of this is because in verse 27, part of John's perspective, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. So that language of receiving. And John's gospel, of course, is an invitation to life where he's saying the most important thing you need, you can't earn, you can't achieve it, it needs to be given to you. But here's John looking at the way the whole earth is ordered and to say, you know what, we tend to take granted, take for granted that any good thing is not an evidence of the kindness of God. And a person who cannot receive one thing unless it is given from heaven is looking to God in a way that then has God's help, God's life, God's encouragement, God's strength, God's guidance. And so that's something we need, this healthy attitude of dependence. And so in verse 28, John says, I said I am not the Christ, but I was sent before him. So his understanding of his mission, this is not me, my life, my career, but I'm understanding my myself in light of God's plan. Now, what he did was so explicitly part of God's plan that it's easier for him, maybe one would think, you're called to pave the way for the Messiah, and this week I'm called to prepare for an exam. How is that uh, connected? But but you you look at that attitude to recognize God is overall, God is a provider, God is, is, we're meant to walk with God and therefore to look for God's specific generosity is an attitude that we're meant to have. And so Jesus gives thanks before he uh, receives his food. I wonder how many of you do. You know, Christians are meant to pray before you eat. It's not a rule. You don't have to. And um, But when you do, why do you pray? Well, because you're supposed to. And I wonder for how many of us we actually stop and we're thankful for the food in front of us. And I know for myself, I usually have the language to lead my heart. I'm not feeling thankful, but I know that I'm supposed to give thanks. And it causes me to pause and recognize not to take things for granted. But I do that because I do take things for granted. My, the explanation for how the food got on my table, I worked, I saved money, I made decisions on how to steward it, I had enough for this, I shopped for it and cooked it, and there it is. Um, doesn't feel like I needed God for that. Um, one spiritual practice is fasting. I still don't fully understand fasting. Fasting is largely about humbling yourself. It's about devoting time to prayer. 
I find fasting challenging because of the liberties I take. If I feel like eating something, I'll just eat. And so having an extended period of time where, where the instinct is to do that, and you decide not to do that, um, raises a certain kind of awareness. This is not the purpose of fasting, but I find from myself the way, the way I am. One of the outcomes of fasting is that first meal I'm thankful for in ways that I'm not for most meals. Um, there's something, it just, it tastes better. I'm relieved to get it. And in the discipline of denying yourself and humbling yourself, it puts you in tune with people who may be, who may not be choosing not to eat and who may be able to say with all honesty, I worked, I made good choices, I was making good decisions, and yet here's a period of time where I don't have food. And that person, when they eat, will recognize there's been a kindness and a provision. We take for granted, yes, we need to apply our skills, our abilities, but just because your work wound up fruitful doesn't mean you're entitled to what you get. The world is more complicated to that, more complicated than that. Um, it's actually dangerous for us to start to think we don't need help, that everything works out well simply because of things in us, because it sets us up for the inability to face things not going well. It's much healthier to have that attitude to say, be wise, work hard, be a faithful steward, but recognize at the end of the day, I'm seeking God's wisdom, God's strength. Um, and therefore, if things work out well, you don't need to have false humility. You could be grateful. I did a good job. I'm going to enjoy this. But recognize underneath it all, you're not in control of the weather and famine, the supply chains, what countries are at war. And if we're eating today, it's the kindness of God, and so we should be thankful for it. It's a healthy attitude to know that any good thing in our lives is evidence of God's kindness. And, and that discipline will, it will strengthen you. It will change how you experience the world, because the alternative to say, I don't need that, winds up resulting in, I'm getting everything I want, and I could explain it, but there's no joy. Uh, you know, you don't need God um, to understand how the world works. So you don't need to be Christian to be a chemist. Um, but understanding how chemistry works doesn't explain to you what things mean. And it's that sense of, of the world is not random, um, but God is actually present, providing. So there's a wisdom in how God has made things so we could study and learn. But God's provision is actually really important for us to be sustained, to know that, that at the end of the day, it all adds up to something valuable. I think a lot of us are losing sight of that because we're just so busy um, trying to double down on our own effort. I'm not encouraging laziness. Some of you need rest. Get rest, it wouldn't be laziness. But those of you who are inspired to work hard, do it, knowing that the Lord is more in control of things than you, and so if things work out well, be thankful. So we depend to receive all things from God, including good things. Here's the second thing that John assumes, that he receives God's word, and that that's something that we need. So God gives all things, and so for those of you looking for extracurricular uh, theological reading, you could read about general revelation and special revelation. General revelation, the whole world uh, created by God in his wisdom, whether or not people believe in God, whether or not people are reading the Bible, you could figure a lot out in how to have a, you know, a, a functional life. But special revelation, the idea that, 
that God is personal and we can't know what God is like unless God reveals himself, unless God chooses to speak. We can't know God's plans and purposes. We can't know how God sees us simply by observing and thinking. Observing and thinking are important, um, but we observe and think as we also listen. And therefore, we are to receive all things, but we are also to relate to God in such a way that we're uh, desiring to get to know him and his ways. And, and that actually is really essential for constructing an identity, a theology, an understanding of our life in the world, our purpose in meeting, how we make choices. Um, the Bible begins in Genesis 1 with God speaking. Uh, there's something about God um, making himself known through his actions, but also having those actions recorded uh, and having his will revealed. So that's one of the things going on in John's gospel as a whole, which, so, so again, I, chapter 3 is telling one story, but it's long enough that we're looking at it over two weeks. But last week, he's interacting with Nicodemus, and he, Jesus tells Nicodemus, you can't even see the kingdom. Um, I'm talking to you about heavenly things that you don't really understand, and therefore, it requires drawing near to listen, being humble enough to learn, allowing God to to stretch our minds to greater and bigger things. And so in ver starting in verse 31 in our passage, to verse 33, John, the Baptist now, uh, says something similar to what Jesus said to Nicodemus last week. Uh, he says, he, speaking of Jesus, who comes from heaven, is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard, yet no one receives his testimony. And that's one of the themes in John which is God is making himself known. If we really knew God, we would recognize uh, the voice of God, but we don't, and that's a problem. Verse 33, whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. So John is saying we receive all things. Not one thing that comes from heaven can be received, but here's something that came from heaven, the, the divine word of God. So John, who writes the gospel, so again, there's John the Baptist, John who writes the gospel, let me not leave you too confused with that, but John who writes the gospel begins by saying the word was with God in the beginning. And then he says the word became flesh. Jesus actually is the message. He's the scriptures come to life, embodied, the fulfillment. And so John says whoever receives his testimony, the testimony of Jesus, sets his seal to this, that God is true. So if we're looking for truth, if we're looking to know God, God hasn't left us to guess about it, but God has made himself known. He's spoken through the prophets, John being the last of the prophets that anticipate the, the one who would come. But Jesus, the embodiment, the living word, the message himself, who comes with a message that we are to receive. So verse 34 says, For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the spirit without measure. And that same spirit that breathes all things to existence in Genesis 1 now Jesus comes, um, being granted that spirit. John, in, in, uh, earlier in John's gospel, John the Baptist said, I saw the spirit descend on him. And God told me, that's the one who will have the spirit. Well, then his message is the very message of God. And therefore, verse 33, we need to receive it. That's where sometimes we'll say the gospel, which means good news, is not good advice. It's not that Jesus is coming to warn us and give him counsel. It's, it's an announcement about what God is doing. And we need to receive the message and receive what's contained in the message. 
But it's hard for us. So if we go back to last week, Jesus' conversation with Nicodemus in, in, chap, in verses 12 to 13, to Nicodemus, this ruler, this person who studied scripture, this moral religious guy, Jesus says, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. He's making a claim about himself, and, and that in John's gospel is Jesus uh, was with the Father in the beginning and came. He comes down from heaven to make things known. Jesus is saying every other religion is trying to make their way to get close enough to God so that they could report back to the people, this is what God is like. And, and John the Baptist is, is advancing this theology that says none of us ever gets that close. We misunderstand. And the evidence is when the one who comes down to make things known, we don't recognize it, we don't understand it. He's speaking of heavenly things, and he's using these earthly analogies. And yet we don't understand them. Um, and, and yet it's, it's not a hopeless uh, message. The idea is if we draw near, he will give that spirit to us. He will open our eyes so we can understand. But that's something we need to receive. And that's what's important to establish that we, we receive from God. Because this is hard. It's hard for those of us who want to be in control. I don't want to just sit and wait. <laughs> so I'm just going to keep studying. I'm going to keep thinking. It's, it's those of us who, who maybe in our pride don't want to be contradicted. So I'm going to go with what I like. Um, or, or feeling I know enough that I could be discerning. Um, John the Baptist seems to be saying the most important things in life, to stake your very life, your very identity, your very purpose, your very fate, do you want to be in charge of figuring that out yourself? There's actually something hopeful to be saying, God in his grace will he'll show you. He will give you what you need. You need to receive it. And that's hard for us. Where do we have now the testimony, uh, the word? It's in the Bible. The Bible is hard to read. It's hard to understand. We're tired. We're, we're trying to make sense of things. It's easier just to, to watch a YouTube video. Um, and yet, if these are the words of life, if these are heavenly words, isn't it worth grappling with to say, I don't understand. Lord, show me, because the outcome of that if we can trust that Jesus was sent from the Father, that's the claim. He comes down from heaven. He tells us things we cannot figure out. It's God's kindness. It's his gift. Would we receive that? And we take that for granted. We don't. I read this week um, a paper looking at um, uh, TikTok and messaging about health. And, and the basic idea of the paper was, uh, I don't fully understand their methodology, but, but they were saying that we, you know, we took something like the top thousand, uh, either most popular or however they, they got the most influential TikTok, TikTok videos uh, that were hashtagged with every number, number of things about health, and then we analyzed what happened. Um, and so these are videos that talk about fitness, that talk about nutrition, that talk about having a healthy life. And they're saying, here's what we saw. So these are influencers. These are, are people that are speaking. First of all, the vast majority, I don't remember the statistic, but exceedingly high of the people were under the age of 20. So they're adolescents. So, so not many experts having influence here on health. Uh, but but the, the reason that they wrote this paper was to say what we're finding is that health, if you look at ultimately the metric for health in nearly all of these videos, it comes down to one thing body type, body shape. This is about weight loss, and it's about how you look. So they're saying, uh, if we want to talk about being healthy, um, the most influential of, of people on this platform are actually, the paper's arguing, 
is discouraging actual health because it's not broad, it's not comprehensive. It's looking at one metric that then winds up being harmful to people that are being bombarded by this. And yet, the, the group of these influencers will have more influence on us because that message, it's easier to digest, whatever it is that they're saying. Um, it's easier when you're tired just to click it on and to be passive. What we're doing is we're receiving. We're not thinking through it. That's why social media is nice. You don't have to think. They distill it for you. They just give it to you. So we're already receiving. The question is, who are we receiving from? Who's influencing us? And are there thousands of people who are uninformed of saying, my life was radically changed six months ago. Listen to me. And without a doubt, the world was radically changed 2,000 years ago. You don't have to be a Christian to see that as historically true. But Christians would say it was radically changed for the better 2,000 years ago. This stands the test of time. Jesus has credibility at the least as a historical figure who comes with wisdom. But his message is hard to understand. He talks about heavenly things. Isn't there the possibility there that we could really grow in our understanding? Maybe next week. <laughs> it's just hard to understand. I have no idea what he's talking about. And I would just like to hear somebody that... That, that understands me in my life and is going to help me with my question this week. I'm not trying to guilt anyone for being superficial. I have spent years studying the Bible. I still find myself not understanding it and just wanting to watch a video of somebody explaining it. This is not easy. The question is, if we're talking about the whole of our lives, the choices we make, how we get strengthened as a human being, how we define what's right and wrong, what our commitments are, what decisions we make, do we want to be influenced by somebody who comes from heaven to tell us life-giving things, even if it takes a while to, to take it, you need to trust him to do it? Or are we just going to uh, give ourselves to whatever makes sense to how we naturally think? John the Baptist is telling us um, God is going through great extent to tell you things you don't want to hear. <laughs> He's explaining it again. Here's another prophet, John the Baptist. But finally the son comes, and he's going to make things known. We have God's word. And so receive it. In this language, is throughout Scripture. James 1, receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Uh, this idea that we have, um, that we need to receive God's word, why this is important for us. You know, there, there's... Um, as we try to think of what is the Bible and why is it important, one of the analogies that people have used is that it's an instruction manual for the human being. And I think that's helpful for one angle. In other words, the idea of, well, how do you live a human life? Well, this, um, this will tell you how. But it's interesting, the concept of instruction manual, the reason that's helpful to us is because we're always looking for technological solution. <laughs> I'm trying to find life and how to live, and so we're just looking, just tell me the bottom line, what do I need to do? And Jesus is saying, look around and see what everyone's doing. And it's making an increased mess of things. You don't need more instructions on what to do. You need help. And so the Bible, yes, will tell you practically how to understand certain things. But more than that, it's a revelation of God's giving you life. And because that requires a paradigm shift, the paradigm shift is not God is the one who um, knows the rules. And so if he gives us the rules, we can do it. Um, but God wants us to know him and to walk with him. And that requires relationship. It requires a listening. And that's what we find that we're not good at listening. We don't understand. We don't like what we're hearing. And John the Baptist is saying, I'm preparing the way for the one who comes with the words of life. But you don't recognize his voice. You don't know what he's talking about. But if you receive what he's saying, you will have life. And that 
is an important message. John literally gave his life for that. He came as a prophet to say, well, listen to the one who's good to come. And the scriptures have been recorded by God's sovereign providence over history so that every generation now can say, what is God like? What is his plans and purposes? We have his word. Before we analyze it and understand and apply it, we need to listen to it. We need to receive it. And so that's part of this personal life, that God is not, not just the rule giver, God is not just the good judge, but God is the father who speaks to the children he loves. And therefore, he will give us all good things, but he will give us himself if we have eyes to see it. So here's the last uh, of the things that we receive from God from this passage. We receive the son himself. Now, the language here is not about receiving. John explicitly says we receive every good thing from heaven. We receive his word. But here the word is belief, and it's helpful because belief is hard for a lot of us. What does it mean to believe? This is not a comprehensive explanation, but for this week, it means to receive. <laughs> so believe in Jesus, somehow it means to, to receive him. There's a lot there that's not easy to work out, but think of it that in that way. Um, when Peter the apostle in the book of Acts is going to preach to the Gentiles his last words before the Holy Spirit comes and gives life to them. Peter himself wasn't expecting it. He says to him, being Jesus, all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. So here's Peter saying, he's writing to people that weren't reading the Bible, but he's saying God sent these prophets. John was the last of them. And they're all bearing witness to one fundamental truth. They're, they're calling our attention to a person, to that final word, that final embodied message. And so it's natural for us today as we gather to think, well, all things are made by God, but God speaks to us about particular things. But if we listen to what he's saying, he's drawing our attention to a particular place. And that's what John in his gospel is doing. He's saying, I want you to come and see who this person is, because if you do, you will have life. And then you zoom back out, and now you can understand the scriptures better because you understand that they're all somehow connected to him. And now you can understand life better because you understand that everything is somehow being held together in him. And so the receiving of the son is important. And one of the themes in John's gospel is there are these earthly analogies. In order for us to understand heavenly things, today's earthly analogy is, is a wedding. So John the Baptist draws on this imagery that was appropriate to his context. Interesting, lots of things about marriage have changed, but actually there's enough of a wedding ceremony that the analogy still applies. But John is drawing from the prophetic tradition that speaks of the relationship of God and God's people like that of a groom and a bride. The good news is John is saying, I'm preparing the way for the one who comes, who came to gather a people for himself, who loves and is devoted and faithful. How? Like a husband who delights in the bride that he's going to marry. So John, as they say, hey, the crowd's going after him. He's not concerned about it. Verse 29, the friend of the bridegroom, so the best man kind of figure, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Human beings have an envy problem. We don't like it when people have it better than us. But when you love someone, you do. It would be a, an unfaithful friend as a best man who is hearing his close friend make his vows and is thinking, 
why would this wonderful woman marry that bum when she met us at the same time? And I, I feel like I could give so much more. That would be strange. Um, I'm sure it's happened many times. But if that's happening in your mind, you know, don't think this. I'm here. The voice of my friend making these vows should be a source of joy that even if today's not my day because I love him. And that's the thing. That's what, what John is exposing. We're interested in God. We're interested in commandments. We're interested in flourishing. Do we love God enough to know him? And the test is Jesus comes and he makes God known and we don't hear his voice. We don't recognize God's ways. That's the depth of our problem. But John the Baptist is saying, actually, now his voice will be heard. God gives the spirit generously. And so he is excited because of his love for God and his ministry to people. He doesn't want to be the greatest prophet who ever lived, but he wants to be the one who's pointing people to the very son. And he's rejoicing because that will give God glory and that will mean that God's purified people will actually be purified in some real and significant way. And so in verse 28, he says, you yourselves bear witness that I said, I am not the Christ. John was not trying to gain a crowd for himself. John was coming to announce something great was coming. And because of that love, that love for God, that, that zeal for God's people, that belief that God was about to act in some way, he's rejoicing, even if it means that he's done and he's going to prison. Um, the only thing that would explain that is, is that love. And love is in this passage. Love is throughout John's gospel. And love is the connecting thing that means that God is not just a maker. God is not just a rule giver. God is not just a judge. But God is meant to be engaged as somebody who has loved us and whom we love. And, and that is life-giving. So in verses 35 and 36, John the Baptist says, The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So we need to believe. That's how we receive. What do we believe? That this is somehow the love of the Father and the Son coming into our lives. But it's coming into a situation that God is not pleased with because we don't recognize him. We don't love one another. We don't love him. So he says, the wrath of God will remain unless God does something. John is saying, I'm announcing and warning you to flee the wrath by the sign of baptism. But the greatness of the one who is coming is the one who will himself bear that wrath. I will go to prison, but he will go to the cross. I will suffer because this current government is unjust, but he will suffer because the whole world is unjust. And yet he will bear that wrath so that we don't have to have it remain on us. Why would God do that? The only explanation is because he loves us, because God is generous. And so here's this language that John the Baptist used. So John, a man of the earth like us, Jesus, a man from heaven. They're telling the same story in John 3. John the Baptist says, the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. So the father loves the son and gives the world to the son. But what does Jesus say? John 3.16, God loves the world, so he gives the Son to it. And that's where everything comes together in Jesus, God and humanity. The Father loves the Son and gives all things to the Son. The Father loves the world and gives the Son to the world. So the question is, where do you get all things? <laughs> We're running after all things, and John is saying there's one thing that you need, that you need to receive. 
is the Son of God. God has given all things to him, and the Father has given him to you. When you receive him, what do you receive? You receive all things. So John is saying, don't miss that is his message. All things have been given into his hand. Uh, And so you look at this relationship with John the Baptist. Why is John not envious? He understands in a way that many of us don't yet, the love and the generosity of the Father, that, that even if God has given him a hard task, he can do it because God has his back. And so when we met John the Baptist, he says, I'm coming to announce one, and I am not worthy to untie the straps of his sandals. So John wasn't waiting for Jesus to get more popular to acknowledge, this one is so great, don't look at me. I am not worthy to untie his sandals. Now that could be an expression of low self-esteem or or the kinds of things that go through our mind. But you look at John's strength, God's, uh, John's godliness, it seems to be that he had this love for him. But what enables John to, what, what would Jesus say about John if Jesus were asked? <laughs> would he say, yeah, John was pretty good. He helped prepare the way for me. In Luke 7, he says, I tell you, among those born of women, no one is greater than John. That's how John and Jesus talk about each other. John says, I am not worthy to untie his sandals. And Jesus says, of all the prophets, there's no one like John. And that's what a healthy relationship looks like. That's, that's not what our relationships look like, where we qualify things, where we tear people down. And that, where, where, where John the Baptist trusts the provision of God that he's receiving everything from him, he can see the love of God that we're blind to, because that's the message. God loved us that he gave to us, and we don't grasp it. Um, and so in that relationship, so if Jesus speaks of John that way, you know, the question we have is, what will, what will he say about us? And the interesting thing about John's gospel is, is the old is passing away. So the water at the wedding turns into wine, the sign of the Messiah coming. The temple, in the story after that that we looked at a few weeks ago, the temple is passing away, but there's a new body. There's Jesus. There's a new thing is coming. In Luke, John says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. That's what Jesus is saying, is you're not going to achieve anything. You're not going to impress anybody. God is giving something to you that then when you enter it, you find a real greatness. You find all things. And therefore, from John 3.16 last week, the same application, God so loved the world that he gave for us to to be strengthened, for us to be restored. We need to understand God loves and God gives. That changes us. I know of a, of a woman who grew up in a family where they um, took in foster children and different ages, but, but she remembers distinctly one of them being older than her, uh, maybe a teenager. And so this was somebody who herself very much remembered her own experience. About 20 or 25 years later, the family gets a note from this woman and just to say, you may not even remember me. <laughs> I lived with you for like six months. Well, let me talk about what I'm doing. And she's talking about her career and her family. She's talking about the good life that she has. And she says, I look back. And I, I remember that time in your house where you, you welcomed me in a hard time. And you loved me. And, and that's part of my story. I look at myself now and I say, it was because of that that I'm now able to have this life. You, you gave something to me. 
you may not even remember me. I was one among many kids, but, but you gave something to me, and that changed me. And what John, who writes this gospel, is saying is, you, you don't understand what God is giving you, the, the cost of what he's giving you, the value of it. But he's calling us to stop and pay attention to receive it. Will we see that God gives all things to us through Christ? How would he not? He gave us his son, and he gives all things to his son. And so if we receive the son, God will give us all things. And that we need to restore our souls. That's the foundation for then going back and reading scripture and then going back into the world. How are we supposed to face this hard and miserable world? Well, we face it knowing that God loves us and God gives. And so we depend on him. We receive from him. And God will help you. He'll help you this week. Pray for it. Watch for it. And then be open to letting God do what he's going to do. And trust him. Let me pray for us. Our Father, there are treasures in the scriptures that, that we don't fathom. Some of us don't understand this at all. Some of us have spent so much time learning, but we still don't get it. Lord, by your grace, by your generosity, by your spirit, give to us what we cannot figure out, what we cannot earn, what we cannot accomplish, and do that renewing life-giving work so that we would believe that your power is a generous and loving power and that you will provide for us. Uh, and at the end of the ages, we will see your wisdom and know that it was worth hoping in Christ because the life that he gives us will be made full one day for all of us if we hope in him. So, Lord, um, by your spirit, be our teacher, be our guide, and help us. We need it. And give us eyes to see and ears to hear and open hands to receive whatever it is you're giving us today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.